0: topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu.
1: Welcome to episode 131 of the Naturally Nourished podcast. Today we're talking about a hot topic and one we've done a few episodes about in the past with regards to the microbiome. So today we'll be covering specifically candida and SIBO or small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. We'll be taking a really deep dive into bacteria and yeast overgrowth and we'll be talking a lot about assessment for overgrowth, so different tests that we can use, compounds that we use clinically to eradicate bacterial and yeast overgrowth, biofilms, resistance, lifestyle elements, and beyond.
2: Yes. So this is going to be a heavy hitter. You might listen to this episode twice and that's totally cool. (laughs) But we wanted to take things a little bit next level from what we've covered in the past. We've done some episodes on the gut-brain access. We've done some episodes on candida overgrowth. And I know we've touched on dysbiosis in general. So this is going to take things a little bit next level. And although we've touched on dysbiosis, which basically means bacteria imbalance, we haven't discussed how to segregate SIBO from large intestinal dysbiosis, and today's episode will really get nitty-gritty into that world.
1: Awesome. So before we dive in, I know we have some updates for listeners with some exciting events coming down the pipeline, Um, and the first thing being if you're listening to this episode in real time... Um, We are two days away from the spring launch of our virtual food as medicine ketosis group. So hop on over! Oh, oh, you've been waiting for
2: you've been waiting for that, Becky. Yes! Oh my gosh. (laughs) I wish I had capability to do that on my end. I don't know if I do, but I don't think we'd get far in any episode. No, we if you wouldn't. Did. We
1: wouldn't. You're, you're really lucky that I don't. <laughs>
2: That's
1: amazing. Oh, you just shocked me. I lost my train of thought. Um, two days. <laughs> two days, you guys. Um, we bumped this one up so that it would hit like right after spring break is a really good hard reset of you know getting into your summer body and feeling good by the start. of. Yes. Summer.
2: Yes, we were going to start this program in May, but it starts in two days, as Becky said, April 10th. We do. If you listen to this on archive, we do allow enrollment all the way up to two weeks into each program. So, if you're listening to this a week out, you can still sign up likely, but. It's also possible that as you're listening to this, we are within a couple spots of selling out uh, because I know last round in January did and things just continue to grow. And the big benefits of my 12-week virtual food as medicine ketosis program is that it applies functional medicine Elements. And so we have an entire class within the six classes. We teach a formal class every other week and it's taught live. Uh, it's taught as kind of a webinar format. You are able to listen to the archives. Um, so a lot of people don't make the live. Really, only like 30% of the participants make the live class, which is 6 to 7 p.m. on Wednesday evenings. Uh, but most people are going to be catching the replay, and then everyone interacts in our private Facebook group, which is a really great forum for us to directly engage with you. And we try to apply a lot of application of functional medicine. Like we provide you a candida quiz. We provide you guidance on the details that incorporate your low-carb lifestyle into food as medicine to make this a sustainable journey. And so we have varied protocols for adrenal fatigue and hypothyroid. We have a varied protocol for breastfeeding mamas or for women that are looking for fertility or for men that are dealing with cardiovascular disease. It is really going to be a game change for you in a way to learn more about how to connect with your body and heal from the root cause. Whether you are keto curious or totally locked and load doing keto as a lifestyle, there's going to be information in here where you can pair this science and medical world with natural medicine and whole foods. Yes.
1: And every other week, Class is such good value. I mean, you get 12 weeks and ongoing. You get to be actually in our Facebook group for a lifetime. And a lot of people choose to actually repeat this program because it is different every single time we teach it. We're teaching to the group that we have, we're teaching based on the most updated research out there and tweaking, you know, according to feedback that we get from our clients. But really, really good value versus trying to work with one of us. One on one, which um, you're on a wait list, and I'm into a couple months down the road of working with uh, individuals as a new client. Um, So, really good entry point to at least get started on your journey in functional medicine. Again, whether you're just keto curious or even not interested in going full blown keto per se, um, you know, more of a low glycemic approach, it's a really good starting point for anyone wanting to delve in on the functional medicine journey.
2: And really use food as medicine as the solution point. And so we give you access to all of the labs in our clinic as a participant. We, of course, advise you on supplementation strategy. It is just super, super value-packed. So go grab your spot, allymillerrd.com backslash ketosis hyphen class. And then real quick shout out, in a couple weeks for any of you that will be in the Austin area uh, over the weekend of April 26th, I will be doing an event called Food as Medicine at the Farm. It is going to be on Thursday, April 25th. It has four interactive stations, it has a bone brothery, there is a apothecary that our friends from Further Food, which is today's uh, podcast sponsor, will be talking about them in a little bit, Uh, but Further Food is going to be there doing the apothecary, which will be a station for you to make your own herbal tincture. We have one that is for stress relief, one that is for uh, stress resilience, the first one being more of a mellower outer formula. We have, I think I said bone brothery. We have a salad station where you'll be able to harvest your own salad greens because it is located on an urban farm uh, at Eden East. And in that station, we'll also teach you how to create different flavor profiles. And then we have another station all about the microbiome and fermentation. Uh, one of my friends from F-Stop Farm is going to be teaching you about the varied uh, stages in the fermentation process, how to make a brine. We have Redmond Real Salt helping us out there. It's going to be just an awesome event of community uh, food as medicine, and there'll be live music, wine by Dry Farm Wines, and uh, we'll, we'll be there, and we'd love to meet with you all. So get your tickets. Um, there's a link on my events page, and we'll also put a link in the show notes, um, and it's going to be on April 25th.
1: Yes. So if you are in the Austin area or in Texas at large and feel like (laughs) driving in for the event, we would love to meet you. Come give us a hug and say hi. Uh, Let's get into today's episode. So for reference, um, Allie was mentioning a couple of episodes that we have on the microbiome already, and I will link these in the show notes. But episode 22 is an oldie but goodie, specifically on candida overgrowth. And then in episode 60, we covered dysbiosis in general and the gut-brain connection. Um, so if this topic is of interest, those are good ones to go back and reference after you finish this one. But let's start here with the basics, Allie. What is candida and what is SIBO?
2: Sure. So we, you know that I'm super passionate about the influence of the microbiome, right, or our gut population of bugs that live in our body. I can't even say intestines alone because our microbiome, as we've discussed in past episodes, actually even is in our eyes, right? We have an ocular microbiome. We have a microbiome in our ear, nose, and throat, in our small intestine, in our large intestine, and pretty much in any orifice in the body, right? So there's some form of microbiome within our ears, within our vaginal canal, and so forth. But when we're talking about Candida and SIBO. Basically, Candida is defined as Candida albicans. This is an opportunistic fungal uh, pathogen. So, this is a bad yeast fungus that overgrows in the body. There's varied forms of candidiasis and different strains, but candida albicans is the most popular. Um, But the term candida could be a little bit larger umbrella, like there is candida tropicalis (laughs) and, and varied forms that are a little bit more resistant and unique. And when we're talking about candida overgrowth, there's often going to be symptoms like bloating, fatigue, headaches, constipation, weight gain, dermatological concerns like skin irritations, hives, uh, rashes, and uh, tends to also connect with yeast infections, um, which can be seen vaginally or as like an oral uh, thrush or even athlete's feet. These can all be signs of candida overgrowth in the body. Now, uh, dysbiosis is just a general phrase of the gut flora being imbalanced. So dysbiosis would be kind of the the grand umbrella term um, of having imbalanced gut microbiome population. And candida belongs under the umbrella of dysbiosis, as does SIBO. So SIBO uh, stands for Small Intestinal Bacterial Overgrowth. It is not strain-specific, okay? So you could have SIBO with any varied strain of pathogen, or it could actually be just an excessive amount of common cell bacteria that are overgrowing in the small intestines, and that's going to create disharmony or imbalance within our intestinal tract. It's going to create oftentimes bloating, distension, Belching, we tend to see more action in the upper area when we're dealing with SIBO, uh, but we can also deal with both, constip- both constipation and diarrhea when dealing with SIBO as well.
1: Okay, and then let's dig a little bit deeper. I know you just covered some of the symptoms of both, but kind of how the symptoms are are overlapping or different between Candida and SIBO, and and how you might know just going off of symptoms, like you said upper GI focused more so for SIBO? Would it be lower GI focused
2: for Candida? So, you know, the the primary amount of gut bugs are are to be living in the large intestine. And so that's probably important for listeners to understand. So you know our our probiotics or our favorable gut bacteria play such a favorable influence on our nutritional status and our digestive health. So we know that in the colon, for instance, we actually make nutrients, like we manufacture vitamin K and biotin. These are made, short-chain fatty acids. These are a great fuel source for the body and for our metabolism. And all of these things are made by our population of our gut bacteria. And when in a symbiotic state, we're going to get a good abundance of those nutrients made, and we'll also get favorable detoxification, favorable hormone balance, and favorable bowel regularity. So, in SIBO, what happens is there's often in ample or inadequate. Favorable bacteria in the large intestines. And again, too many bugs fermenting up higher in the small intestines where we'd prefer that population to move southbound. Um, so, Candida can actually be seen in both the upper or, or um, both smaller large intestines. So, again, that kind of macro umbrella is dysbiosis. I hope that that helps. Um, so, we can see in both SIBO and Candida mood disturbances like anxiety and depression. Um, I think I've already hit heavy that there could be digestive distress. And to the level of – I think with SIBO, we tend to see more um, of, again, the the above-the-belly-button bloat. With SIBO, we tend to see maybe more dynamic uh, bloating. We can see bloating with both candida and SIBO, but SIBO can really be that food baby, like people call it, or like a three-plus-inch variance within the waistline. We can also see more belching, as I mentioned, and and heartburn or reflux would be higher with SIBO, but can still be present with Candida. Um, we can see both diarrhea and constipation, and both cases of diarrhea can be almost like a dumping bowel urgency. That more quick, rapid acting tends to be SIBO mitigated because or influenced, excuse me, because. When SIBO is present in the small intestine, we're not getting as ample breakdown of food particles and we're not getting as optimized digestive and absorption. So we can get almost like a dumping effect where two larger particles get into the larger intestine. We get this huge water variation and that's where we'll get this urgent loose stool. Um, So we can definitely see a little bit more of that. And yet we can still see, we'll talk about deep in the the weeds of all of this, (laughs) the varied forms of gut population and how uh, certain forms of SIBO bugs like the archaea can really even drive chronic constipation, um, very severe to the level of three three to five days without bowel movement. So beyond digestive distress, beyond bloating, we mentioned mood. Um, The other world that I'd like to hit on is headaches. Um, So this is one that we tend to see. Headaches and brain fog, I tend to attribute a little bit more with candida um, because that usually is the the candidiasis or the yeast can actually cross the blood-brain barrier and that can cause a big influence with intracranial inflammation or basically headaches, right? Also brain fog, difficulty concentrating, that tends to be more of a yeast element. Uh, Let's see about any other distinguishable factors. I talked about the athlete's feet, but we could see other scalp uh, or fungal or like nail fungus that would be attributed more with the candidiasis or yeast. I think you can see chronic fatigue on both ends of the spectrum because the body is going to be stressed and that also opens the world of autoimmune disease in general, right? We're going to see autoimmune disease in both worlds because the body is trying to fight an invader, if you will. So that puts the body into kind of auto attack mode. Um, So that's a high risk factor we can see with both. And with both candida and SIBO, we can see leaky gut. Because what happens is our primary area for absorption of nutrients, again, gets overpopulated by this imbalance and that can create larger space between the microvilli, which means that larger food particles get into the bloodstream and that only offsets the immune system further, driving more inflammatory processes. Um, a big thing that I would say specific to... SIBO and not candida is going to be the the larger attribution of dysfunction in the colon. And so we'll see a little bit more tendency towards, like I said, that rapid bowel motility and uh, fat malabsorption. So we could see like lighter colored stool. Uh, And then we could also see low levels on blood tests of our fat-soluble vitamins like A- C, E, and K, and then potentially some of those other nutrients that are made in the colon like B12 and and biotin.
1: Okay. So a lot of overlap, but definitely some distinguishing factors. Um, We do have a candida and dysbiosis quiz that I will link to for you guys if you're wanting to dig deeper just on symptoms alone, Uh, but let's talk about why overgrowth of both candida and SIBO would happen in the first place. Where does this stuff come from?
2: Right. And this is kind of one of those concepts, right? Candida and SIBO and dysbiosis where it's, we'll talk about assessments as well. And it's kind of like the devil is in the details. You know, you you can, as we're talking about ways to eradicate or remove, right? If you're identifying between some of those symptoms and you just had five aha moments (laughs) and you take the candida quiz and you fail it, It is very possible that you fail it because you have SIBO and not candida, right? It's very possible that you fail it because you just have generalized dysbiosis. And how you're going to approach it is going to be a pretty tight overlap that the first place is, of course, plowing the gut and resetting the microbiome. Uh, So I want to make sure that in today's episode, what you don't want to do is get paralyzed by... Confusion between definition, right, and and then not make any action to start to feel better within your body.
1: Yeah, I think that's that's important. So, <laughs> a lot of times, you know, I tell clients it's like, well, we don't know exactly what we're hitting, so I'm going to add a little bit of extra botanical support to overlap and cover both exactly upper and lower GI, and we'll talk about specific formulas, but. I I agree from what I see in clinic, for sure.
2: Right. And like we were trying to, in today's show notes, distinguish between the two. And it's like, yeah, but I've seen cases of, well, Mm -hmm. you know, and there is. There's just just a very overlapping influence. And so to, you know, answer really why this can happen in the first place, a, a lot of times bacteria imbalance, especially any form of a pathogen, can drive yeast flare, especially following antibiotic use, right? So it's like chicken and egg, what happened first and where are we today? And how can we be most comprehensive in our approach? So we know that antibiotic use is, you know, one of the number one causation factors for yeast flares, which is why actually a lot of physicians now are prescribing diflucan or fluconazole, uh, Usually those would be the two. Nystatin is kind of a heavier hitter as an antifungal drug, but a lot of doctors will do, do like a two-day run of an antifungal following a seven to 10-day course of antibiotics because they know that when you sterilize and hit the mi- microbiome with an atom bomb that you then lose the natural host defense, your probacteria, and opportunistic yeast and opportunistic pathogenic bacteria are going to be first to set up camp, right? So, antibiotic use can be a cause factor for sure, and I would love to even before saying that open with stress uh, because this is one that's definitely unsung and and doesn't get enough value noted in the impact of stress on the microbiome, but if you've read the anti-anxiety diet, uh, you definitely know where I sit on this, and you've heard me talk in that last episode about that that stress-gut connection, um, we've seen in research study over research study that sterility, uh, we actually get sterility of lactobacillus and bifido, the two most known and well-researched probiotic strains, uh, can go down to a level of no growth in a body that is under a high mental-emotional stress demand. Um, so stress alone can sterilize the biome, and then that can drive opportunity for SIBO or candida. Um, we talked about antibiotic use. The dietary risk factors are first and foremost going to be diets that are high in excessive refined carbohydrates, high refined sugars, right? And so we know like in lab setting, when you're trying to activate yeast, you take warm water and sugar and that's how the yeast flourishes, right? Um, And so we know that yeast loves to thrive off of sugar and maybe a little bit more opportunistic over that of SIBO would be the sugar connection with candida. Uh, We know that oral contraceptives can play a role with both candida and SIBO uh, because that has a negative influence on our microbiome as a host or a foundational balancer. We know that alcohol use in both candida and SIBO can be contributing factors because they sterilize in scents. And that steroids, uh, because uh, so like prednisone, for instance, Because they are glucocorticoids, they tend to drive increased levels of blood sugar, which could create more opportunity for a candida flare. So steroids um, and antibiotics, generally, we're going to see higher candida following that. But the stress, the diet of high carb, alcohol use, oral contraceptives, those would definitely be equal opportunity hitters. Now, other SIBO driver specific, I would attribute more SIBO to like someone that deals with gastroparesis, um, which is the fancy word for someone that has slow motility. Um, In the form of gastroparesis, there is essentially paralysis in the involuntary pumping on a neurological function of the gastric pouch. So we're not getting that mechanical breakdown of food. So that means that obviously the stomach connects to the small intestine. So that means that there's larger food particles than are desired in the small intestines. And that sets up bacteria to migrate up northbound to eat the fuel, right? Um, and so it might have been a benefit in theory to the body to to break down the large food particles, but that can kind of create a bacteria party. Um, and that can be concerning. And in the same sense of this dysmotility or slow bowel movement, we could also see this with people that deal with chronic constipation, whether it was gastroparesis mediated, or whether it was for another reason, but people that aren't alleviating their bowels regularly, that bacteria is going to start to move northbound. So we'll also see that. And then we will see low enzyme production. So your enzymes, remember your digestive enzymes get suppressed under stress, right? And they also get suppressed if you have any issues with pancreatic function. So someone that would have Uh, pancreatitis, of course, or um, had had history of radiation on that area of their body, those could all be contributing factors. And um, of course, then to mention the other drug interaction of PPIs, if we're neutralizing our stomach acid, then we are lowering the efficacy of our enzymes, many which require hydrochloric acid to activate. So, so there could definitely be that influencing factor. And, and enzyme connection is one that I would jump a little bit tighter more on the SIBO.
1: Okay. So a lot of like chicken egg
2: yeah, <laughs> stuff
1: yeah. and you know a lot of... Um, reasons that we can draw on that we might have become overgrown in the first place with candida or SIBO or, or even both. Um, let's talk about specifics of assessment. How do we, beyond just looking at symptoms, how do we actually test for these things? What's the best mode of testing specifically for candida?
2: So first to be clear, I always recommend doing at least a preliminary six-week cleanse before you would invest in testing. And unless... To, unless you are dealing with diagnosed inflammatory bowel disease, because if you're dealing with diagnosed inflammatory bowel disease, we do want to know your level of your calprotectin and your level of the susceptibility of the inflammation of the tissue in the gut before we bring in agents that are going to eradicate overgrowth, right? But if in general, the first line of defense is to do a cleanse because you're likely going to get outcomes and save yourself a lot of money. Just to be point, just to be Frank in my 10 plus years of clinical experience, do my candida cleanse bundle and the beat the bloat ebook. We have it now as a bundled option, which is really cost affordable. And that's my, my ending point there. So how to assess it though. Um, I think the best value added if you're dealing with the, the bloating and distension is, is to run the MRT food test. Uh, the reason for that is that you will see if you have an overgrowth of candida. Now, this is just specific to candida. So you're not going to see if you have an imbalance of another pathogen like potentially Klebsiella or Enterobacter or, you know, there's so many different genius of strains of bacteria overgrowth that we could name, but the MRT blood test will test for candida albicans, and it's looking at your blood, um, and it looks at the inflammatory chemical release in in, in which your body is actively battling the candida overgrowth. So you will see that, and if you're dealing with some basic gut distress and inflammation, the MRT gives you the value-added, of course, of 169 other compounds that you can then actually use to remove from your diet in an elimination diet. So it's like a GPS for your body of what drives inflammation, and candida is assessed within that. Now, again, you could get a negative for candida and still be dealing with some form of yeast overgrowth or some form of dysbiosis or SIBO. So that's not necessarily a, a all-or-nothing answer, but it can give you some guidance. Stool testing would be the best answer to give us a big picture assessment on what's going on in your intestinal environment. So that's going to give us, if you have a parasite, if you have yeast overgrowth, what the colonization of bacteria looks like, if there are any presence of pathogens, if there are high amounts of common soil or wildflowers in the gut, and if there's no growth or beneficial growth of your favorable bacteria. We'll also look at malabsorption here. We'll also look at enzyme output. So that'll say if you're susceptible to SIBO, right? We'll also look at the fermentation and the end products of your bacteria. So we'll actually see your short chain fatty acids. We will look at markers of inflammation. So we will be able to see if your lysosomes are elevated, if there's white blood cells, which would be seen if your body's in an active battle based on this overgrowth. So stool testing is going to be the most detail-oriented but with that being said, it's you know around five hundred dollars of information that may get outcomes by doing that six week cleanse to begin with. So just kind of food for thought on the investment there. Sure,
1: I'm waiting for my own stool test results to come back as we speak, and got Byron to do his too. <laughs> um, that was a fun process.
2: <laughs> yeah, it is. You can float the boat, you float the boat, or you hold the boat. I have to hold the boat. You got to hold the boat. I don't know what the- The floating the boat thing. I don't know if I have aim like like that.
1: (laughs) What's battleship sunk? Yeah, no. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, anyone who's ever done a stool assessment knows what I'm talking about. Anyone who hasn't, I'll spare you the-
2: Details and you might have a better time just doing a cleanse. (laughs) Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. Um, What about the assessment for SIBO? Because I know that wouldn't necessarily be seen on a stool test. So how do we know if we're like barking up the wrong tree, or do you recommend doing two layers of testing in that case? Right.
2: So, so for SIBO specifically you know, once we're looking at stool tests, that's really giving us more of an indication of what's happening in the larger intestine. And and there is digestive and absorptive elements. And like I said, you could see factors and influencers of SIBO. Like you likely will see an influence on your butyrate or short chain fatty acids. You're likely going to see in ample enzymes, right? But actually the bacteria that's being assessed is going to be more influential by the large intestine environment. So if we're looking to capture what's going on fermentation wise above the belly button, we would want to do a breath test. So a breath test is going to be where you would take a baseline exhalation of focused breath um, in a bag, essentially, and then you consume a solution. Um, It's usually going to be a lactulose solution or glucose or xylose um, solution, and then you—it's time-specific, and then you breathe in the bag again. Um, and there might be multiple times of collection, depending on what lab you're using. But the test is going to measure hydrogen and methane, and um, basically, it's looking at these as fermentable byproducts of the bacteria. So we know that these simple carbohydrates, whatever the solution is comprised of, is going to be some form of a simple carbohydrate, and that that feeds the small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And the SIBO then produces hydrogen. And then if you have presence of archaea within your SIBO, the the hydrogen is going to feed the archaea, and they will produce more methane. So that's the variability of if you are you know, hydrogen-dominant or methane-dominant, that's going to give us more information about the type of population. And in the individual, the, the main telltale variation beyond having this test done is that the hydrogen-dominant SIBO is often going to lead to this kind of chronic malabsorption dumping syndrome where there's more diarrhea, malformed bowels, and more bowel urgency. And the methane-dominant SIBO is more associated with that archaea that drives constipation. So we're going to be talking about people that are dealing with chronic constipation.
1: Okay. And I know there's some kind of crossover. There can be misinterpretation of these results with breath tests, right? There's a little bit of controversy there.
2: Yeah. Well... So a couple things it can be both based on there, there's a feeding um, approach, right as far as the diet that you consume leading up to your test uh, because we don't want any like long chain carbohydrates or long fermented prebiotics that would create this lingering effect of of gut bacteria, right? Um, And so how you apply the basic diet is important first and foremost. And then the fact that breath can be a little bit very variable, right? Like as far as like how hard you're exhaling, how deep you're exhaling. I know that even with like taking breath ketones, I can get a significant variation by the way that I'm exhaling. So that's something to be mindful of. And then there can also be influencing factor of like, again – Low stomach, low stomach acidity and enzymes can have a false influence on your um, byproduct that we're getting as, as the outcomes. And um, we can also see it, there's not a direct black and white distinguishable influence of colonic bacteria and the small intestinal bacteria or small bowel. Um, and so that can play a role as well.
1: Got it. Okay. So it'd be really important to have a functional practitioner help you interpret lab results if we are dealing with SIBO. Um, And
2: Oh, I just want to say something too for listeners. So what's different too about a SIBO test, which I've reviewed many, and I'm not usually huge on ordering because it's not going to give any guidance. Whereas like a stool test, I find a lot more value added because a stool test will tell us what compounds are going to be the most reactive and resistant in the eradication process. Whereas, again, for a SIBO test, you're just getting a, a scoring of the hydrogen and the methane. So yes, you could use it as a baseline, like pre-cleanse, post-cleanse, and watch those values change. Um, but there is that that variability and you're not going to get guidance on what you're going to do about it. Like as a functional practitioner myself, I have a pretty comparable SIBO gut cleanse that I'm going to put you on regardless of, you know, where you're scoring. I might just know based on where you're scoring that you might need two or three rounds of a cleanse versus one.
1: Sure. And like you said, you know, going with the cleanse first or maybe (laughs) instead of the testing at all would be a better bang for your buck if you are expressing, you know, the symptoms that we would attribute to SIBO anyway.
2: Yeah, and you're going to want to make sure if you're doing a breath test and you want that confirmation of a positive, that it does test both for hydrogen and methane, because the ones that do just test for hydrogen, you could also get a false positive because, again, that archaea uses the hydrogen as a fuel source. Uh, So be mindful if you are investing in a breath test that you're looking at both of those values.
1: Got it. And then what about doing a probiotic challenge to assess for candida or SIBA? Would that be effective?
2: Yeah, I mean that's effective for both. In fact, we see a lot of literature out there as a telltale sign that if you have SIBO, you're likely not going to tolerate live active lactobifidus or or bifidobacterium, lactobacillus or bifidobacterium. I made a hybrid, oh, yeah. like <laughs> like, yeah, Benefer or something. Um, <laughs> so if you have high lactobacillus or bifidobacterium in a probiotic and you know that you're getting an exacerbation of your symptoms, like more bloating, and that's why with our probiotic challenge, we have you measure your waist circumference, right? Um, So that you can actually look for that fermentation in response to increasing the dosage. So if you get more gas and bloating or more constipation or more irritable loose stool, We don't care if it's SIBO or candida, to be honest. We care that you're not tolerating probiotic and we want you to plow your gut until you tolerate it. That's you keep kind of revisiting as your litmus of how you're doing in your progression of healing and rebounding your microbiome.
1: Okay. And I'll link to a blog where we have detailed how to complete a probiotic challenge using our Restore Baseline Probiotic and kind of increasing that dosage. Throughout um uh, the is it 10 days or twelve? I always get tripped up, but
2: well, there's three the, two to three base yeah. days. Yeah, yeah, but it's yeah, yeah, 10 active, yeah. 10 active days. Yep. And um yeah, I mean, I I would say if you're if you're listening to this podcast and you've listened to more than five of, of my episodes of the Naturally Nourished Podcast and you haven't done a probiotic challenge yet, like pull over. Stop the phone and do a darn probiotic challenge because that'd be the first thing to do even before the preemptive cleanse, right? To just get a, a, an assessment of where your microbiome is at.
1: Awesome. I will link to all of that in the show notes. And before we go deeper into treatment and what a cleanse could look like, lifestyle elements, and a little bit around resistance and biofilms, I want to have a quick word from our sponsor for this episode, Further Food.
2: Yes. So if you are a listener of the Naturally Nourished podcast, you know that Further Food is one of our favorite companies. They produce products that are highest quality food as medicine solutions to support your wellness journey. They started as a collagen company, and their collagen is grass-fed, pasture-raised, and wild-caught. They have a wild-caught cod option, which we love because our MRT panel tests for cod. So it allows good option of both a beef and cod-derived compound. And all of their products are non-GMO, hormone-free, and antibiotic-free. And collagen is one of those foods that's an awesome microbiome supporter for the low-carb community.
1: I just actually started using their cod collagen because my MRT came back with beef a little bit higher reactive. And I can say from experience, guys, doesn't taste like fish. Clients keep asking me. Um, I think they're making really, really good, high quality products. And we just love that they are a small women owned business and their mission really comes from their own personal experience with chronic illness from IBS to Crohn's to, Thyroid disease. Uh, they have a vision to create a community-driven, comprehensive knowledge platform with food-based wellness insights and food-based products. And they do a really freaking good job. They've come out with several new products just in the past year since we've been following them.
2: Like I'm obsessed with the mindful matcha, which also has <laughs> yeah, also has adaptogens and wheatgrass in it. So it's a really great nutritional bang for your buck, uh, gets you that L-theanine to mellow out your mood, and um, great with a couple teaspoons of fat to blend up as a morning latte. And then I know that we're also both fans of their turmeric tonic uh, we've added that to bone broth. We've added that to coconut milk, and done so many different fun elixirs with that. And th- those formulas are really mindfully uh, put together with a nice blend. Like I said, whether there's adaptogenic herbs, or for instance, the the daily turmeric tonic has buswellia which is another tissue anti-inflammatory. So they're really good at creating these synergies that not only taste great as far as the flavor combinations, but they also have a synergy of the mechanism of action on the body, taking that featured ingredient to the next level.
1: And I love how accessible and also affordable their products are. I love, love, love their stick packs of collagen to like throw in my purse or throw in my carry on to stir into, you know, an iced tea or a latte at the airport to get a little bit of extra protein or gut
2: support when I fly. Totally. And really good in baked goods, too. I put them in all of Stella's uh, pancakes, my almond butter pancakes, and my zucchini low carb collagen muffins and all of the things. So you can go over to furtherfood.com. Backslash discount, backslash Allie Miller RD. Don't forget that word discount in the middle. Um, and or you could use the word Allie Miller RD uh, as a coupon code and you will get 10% off your first order online. Go check them out. We love them. Allie Miller RD as the coupon code at furtherfood.com. All right, back
1: to it. How do you treat candida overgrowth?
2: So the first thing you want to do is stop fueling it, right? So you don't want to add lighter fluid to a fire. And so the first things we really want to focus on is we want to remove a high-carb diet, right? So we want to eliminate carbohydrates down to the level of 60 grams a day total. So if you're already doing some form of nutritional ketosis, you likely have your carbs at that as a max anyway, even if you've kind of been doing it for a lifestyle and you're more in my like phase 1.5. And if you're kicking off your keto, you're probably at 30 grams total a day, or maybe you're even doing a, a lower carb diet and that's that's fine too. So 60 grams of carbs is what I put as an upper limit when we're looking at doing a candida or dysbiosis cleanse. And I'm thinking probably going forward, I'm just going to use the words interchangeably unless I distinguish by something. <laughs> so for both processes, we want to reduce carbohydrates. And, um, we also want to remove, uh, fermented foods. So we actually keep probiotic rich foods out for at least the first three weeks of a cleanse. And then that's probably a part of a assessment of how successful the first three weeks of the cleanse have been. Cause at week four, we let you start to play with a probiotic food. Again, if you get a, um, You know, negative feedback or a recurrence of a symptom that had started to resolve midway through that week four, then I would have you hold your probiotic food longer and continue with just the cleanse approach. Um, But I keep out probiotic foods for the first three weeks minimum, if not all six weeks. And then I also eliminate any, um, Vinegar. I limit vinegar to one tablespoon for a candida cleanse for certain. There's more of a yeast vinegar connection there. And then we also want to keep out, of course, beer, uh, champagne, yeasted foods in general, right? Um, And then, of course, nutritional yeast as well, even during a yeast cleanse for certain.
1: Okay. So that's kind of the removal diet aspect. And then what specific botanicals are we using? And I know there's some overlap between candida and SIBO and those that are most effective.
2: Yeah. And and so diet would be pretty much across the board, very comparable. And when we're talking about compounds that are going to help with die off, uh, big botanicals that I think of is oregano oil. Uh, Oregano oil is going to be found in our candy activator. So again, we named it Focusing on candida, but a fantastic, powerful tool that also has thymol or thyme oil. And um, it is also going to have a little bit of lemon balm. So, those compounds all have been assessed actually in eradication of SIBO. So that's a fantastic formula for both banks of the river, as is berberine. Berberine has been shown to be very successful, and that's in our berberine boost. Uh, And uh, I love the berberine boost formula because it uses Oregon grape root, which is that whole food form in addition to the concentration of berberine. And then the only thing varied from our Candida bundle, which includes again both the candy activator, the berberine boost, it's going to have GI cleanup, which would be important for both a Sibo or a yeast cleanse. That's a type of probiotic that actually eats away at biofilms, um, basically these networks of bacteria that can create ongoing chronic candida or SIBO. So the GI cleanup helps to create space and also removing the die off. And then ultimate detox would be a good player for both as well um, because it's going to help the liver and kidneys in the removal of the die off. It helps to reduce the die off symptoms where we can see headaches and muscle aches and fatigue and that lethargy or kind of like herximer reaction. That that flu type response that we can get during an active cleanse. So the beat the bloat cleanse with the bundle um, for the candida cleanse would be appropriate for both. And then I would say if you are shooting in the dark, it may behoove you to add in my GI Reset, which is another botanical formula that's going to add in Barbary Root and also wormwood oil that also gives a, uh, also there's some caprylic acid in there. So that gives a little bit more of a broad spectrum if you're even hitting parasite or
1: Got it. So that would be kind of an overlapping formula to just tack on to your cleanse or even, you know, with clients where, um, you know, I'll, I'll check in at week three or four and they're like, Oh, I'm doing this cleanse. I don't really feel any different. I'm not getting much action. Um, (laughs) there should be a little bit of like bowel change or like being able to feel that, you know, something is dying off. So I'll I'll often add that as an overlap Um, at that like week three to four mark and then go a little bit longer with a cleanse if we're not getting that action.
2: Absolutely. And I think when we think of SIBO, so one big distinguishable variance is drug therapies, right? So like I mentioned with Candida, it's uh, fluconazole or diflucan or ni- um, nystatin. Those are all antifungals. And the big one that we see with SIBO, and, and it's really kind of came out, I think, with really like Chris Kresser discussing this concept of SIBO is is Rifaximin, right? And um, that's the main drug or Zifaxin is the brand name that we know to successfully eradicate SIBO because there is a lot of bacteria resistance. So your standard antibiotics often will not kill out. But the cool thing that I want to share and make very clear, and we'll link this study in our show notes, is that we've seen time and time again that herbal therapy, there's actually a research study called herbal therapy is equivalent (laughs) to Rifaximin For the Treatment of Small Intestinal Bacterial Overgrowth, and and that's the name of a research study from 2014, and they looked at 396 people. You know, this is not a small population study, and the conclusion was that the herbal therapies that were studied and used as an active intervention um, were at least as effective as rifaximin for resolution of SIBO.
1: I think that's super cool and definitely less, you know, unfavorable side effects and definitely some positive benefits. Oh, girl,
2: and cost. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) Rifaximin is over $300. Um, So there's that. Yeah.
1: Um, And then, you know, another study that we'll make sure we link in show notes as well showed the effectiveness of using probiotics after treatment of... SIBO because I think with SIBO, there's a lot, and we'll get into this in a sec, um, but a lot of high rates of recurrence and recurring infections. Um, so using probiotics to really set up camp in the gut to prevent against that future recurrence.
2: Absolutely. And that's why it's really essential that you follow the cleanse bundle with the Bacteria Rebuild, which is going to really support the process of re-inoculating the good, and that's where you can use this probiotic challenge again. I'm so thrilled if you improve by the four capsules a day of the Rebuild baseline probiotic or the Restore baseline probiotic, excuse me, and then that means that you use the targeted strength, and since I've had my uh, C-section with Stella, now she's almost three, I'm still taking the 60 billion colony forming units of the lacto and bifido strain, because those IV antibiotics just totally destroyed me and I'm under chronic stress. And whenever I retest, I always do best with all 60 billion. And I take that and the rebuild spectrum so that I get the good blend of the streptococcus. I get the good blend of the other forms of the lactobacillus. And uh, it's, it's going to be that wide scope along with the targeted. And, and that works really beautifully for me. So probiotic therapy, remember, is nature's antibiotics. And that's going to create the healthy foundation to set up camp to make you resilient to regrowth in a negative way.
1: Awesome. And then the one thing that I would add on treatment specifically of SIBO as well is looking at the motility issues that might Absolutely. have been present as a, a cause or, again, a chicken egg piece of the puzzle um, and looking at digestive enzyme output, um, potentially bringing in digested and relax and regulate to really get digestion moving so we're not having that stagnation and backup.
2: Absolutely. I, I can't agree more. And maybe even the B-complex to ensure that you're getting that neurological health for the signaling of that, that peristalsis. Yep. Yep. Definitely. Good,
1: Adam. Um, Let's get into real quick the concept of biofilms and resistance of yeast and bacteria because I know I have clients who go through multiple rounds of cleanses and they're still showing symptoms. And this could be for months on end that they're still not able to tolerate a probiotic.
2: Yeah. So again, biofilms are like these, these anchors, okay? We think of it as like a network of bacteria, almost like a root system of a plant is a really good visualization. And the biofilms can really network and support the pathogen or the bad bacteria, and they can work to maintain this resistance to treatment. Right. And so we want to think of ways to basically cleave into or break up these biofilms so that we have access to that root to truly eradicate versus just cutting off that top flower, if you kind of think of it in that sense. Right. So we know that, for instance, Candida has a very strong resistant biofilm. So an antifungal alone may not create long term resolution. But we know that when we add in biofilm disrupting botanicals, which include things like coconut oil providing us the caprylic acid, the oil of oregano that I mentioned in the candy activator and the berberine and our berberine boost. We know that these actually have ability to break into biofilms beyond working as an antifungal. And then there's other tools like proteolytic enzymes. So our inflamasyme which has bromelain and trypsin and chemotrypsin. These are compounds that actually break down tissue buildup. So it's going to get into that barrier to allow your cleanse compounds to penetrate to get more successful long-term resolution. And the other one that I'll note beyond the proteolytic enzymes – is N-acetylcysteine. So you get N-acetylcysteine in your sulfur containing foods like your Brussels sprouts, your broccoli, your cauliflower, and our Beat the Bloat ebook talks you specifically through food guidance on an abundance level of these compounds, but you also get this in my cellular antiox. So inflamzym and cellular antiox are two things that can help to support a more successful cleanse. Also, reduce the inflammation and the die off side effects of a cleanse and support the detoxification and cellular uh, health and capacity of antioxidants.
1: Awesome. And then you mentioned some using coconut oil and things like that. But what about some lifestyle elements that will help to support cleanse as well? Because just doing, you know, diet plus supplementation, yes, that's all well and good. But there are other things that we can do to Absolutely. support us. Through that die-off process, especially.
2: Right. So, assuming you're eating the low carbohydrate diet and you're getting an abundance of detox supporting compounds in the diet and taking all of these botanicals and compounds to do the cleanse, I still want you moving your body because that's going to drive lymphatic tissue flow, which is going to help your body in the detox process. So, gentle movement therapy. Don't be doing high-intensity training because that's going to drive your body's stress access haywire because it is stressful to do a cleanse in the first place. So walking hills, doing yoga, all of that's going to be helpful. And in that same concept of this lymphatic tissue movement, I want you to focus on doing the hydrotherapy in your shower. So as hot as you can tolerate into cold water, incorporating body brushing to move that lymphatic tissue, sauna to upregulate sweating to support detoxification, and also uh, oil pulling with the coconut oil, because there is this translocation that tries to occur in the body. When you're Hitting heavy in the microbiome population in the gut and intestinal area, the bacteria often tries to go northbound or get into dermatological tissue. So as best as we can apply on a oral area with coconut oil, with oil pulling, that's going to help to regulate that tissue. Um, And massage is a welcomed addition to lifestyle as well to keep that lymphatic tissue moving. And then the last thing I would say is intermittent fasting. When we're dealing with resistant bacteria population or stubborn yeast in the body, the best tool often is to upregulate that autophagy and to try to nail down a couple days a week minimum that you can do 16 hours. And I would try to do instead of a fat fast, a true water fast for a 16-8 in this scenario, so that you really get maximized your immune system's ability to identify and eradicate and kill off. And you get that little bit of flaring feedback from the dying population. That's similar what we can see when we first go keto, like, right, you start to get good outcomes of the cleanse. And then all of a sudden, the gut bugs start to get thrifty. We've seen in studies that candida can feed off of ketones, right? So you want to provide yourself a little bit of a shift on metabolism to kind of shock the bacteria and yeast. And one of the best ways to do that is to fast, to allow your body to upregulate that surveillance function.
1: Okay. Awesome. On the lifestyle aspect of things, what about, I know we spoke to reducing carbs in the diet and reducing fermented foods. What are some other aspects of diet that are important to highlight? And then let's talk a little bit about low FODMAPs as well within this.
2: Yeah, yeah. So – Within the low carbs, it is absolutely essential that it's grain-free. And, of course, that means no flour-containing foods because grains are very sticky. They're adhesive. So, you know, when you boil rice, you know, it's going to stick to the pan. Same thing is going to occur to some level as an adhesive nature in the gut. And so we want to be mindful of that during a cleanse to keep it really tight beyond the 60 grams of carbs, no-grain-related foods. I want you to focus on protein as like a freebie, getting minimum of 80 grams a day because your immune system needs protein. You need to be nourished so that the body can have the fuel it needs to be in this battle environment. And that's also going to support the protein sparing effect on your musculature so that you don't get any wasting during this process. Uh, I would want you to focus on the liver detoxifying foods like our lemon turmeric, our turmeric lemonade. I'll put a link in the show notes. And then bone broth on a daily uh, basis would be really helpful. And rotating your forms of bone broth would be very helpful. Going for about six to eight ounces a day. And then I mentioned, of course, keeping that vinegar and other fermented yeasted foods completely out. Vinegar limited to one tablespoon. So. FODMAPs. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, just to lay this down. So the FODMAP diet essentially was brought to our attention um, in research studies where we were looking at these basically simple carbohydrates um, that feed bacteria overgrowth in the small intestine, right? So we're looking at FODMAP um, includes fructose, which is going to be... high fructose containing fruits, so maybe not even processed refined, but the fruits that are naturally higher in fructose and their fruit juices. um, So like apple is one as an example. Honey, um, we also know that fructose is going to be in many processed foods with their high fructose corn syrup forms. Lactose is one that we see as a malabsorbed uh, sugar as well, which would be in any liquid form of dairy. Fructans, which are going to be seen in wheat in high amounts, as well as in onion, garlic, asparagus, leeks, artichokes, broccoli, and cabbage. So that's definitely one of those counterintuitive where you would probably do fine with those detox supportive compounds in a candida approach. But if you're getting bloating and distension from those prebiotic fibers of the detox supporters, you might want to hold those during your your cleanse if you're getting distress. And that's likely indicative of SIBO. Uh, galactins are going to be seen in more of your legumes and also in your cabbage and Brussels sprouts and soy. And then your polyols, which are going to be your sugar alcohols. So if you've noticed GI distress with keto and you're doing erythritol and malatol and xylitol and sorbitol, just another reason for me to hate <laughs> these <Yep. laughs> non-caloric sweeteners, right? But another indicacy that maybe that's driving your distress and that might be indicative of SIBO.
1: Okay. And then seeing intolerance of veggies and and a lot of these groups of foods might also be a case to go a little deeper and do, you know, keto carnivore for a portion of your cleanse.
2: Yeah. And like we talked about in episode 127, you know, it's always why aren't you tolerating the vegetables? So that would be a great, if you know, you don't tolerate the veggies now, keep them out, do the cleanse and then see how you do. Probably the most health supporting foods we just listed are those leeks, asparagus, artichokes, broccoli, cabbage, Brussels. So those are really the only ones I'm concerned with trying to regain tolerance of and cost to benefit ratio once you've had a successful cleanse, should be in your favor. You may need to take a digestive enzyme with them and make sure you're taking the probiotics to stay in a beneficial balance.
1: Sure. And then keto itself would definitely be supportive of a cleanse as well, because you're already getting that bonus. You're well below that 60 grams of carbs. And we, we do have all of our participants in our virtual food is medicine keto program go through at least doing the candida quiz, if not doing the probiotic challenge. Yes, um, It's a great time to just capitalize on, Hey, you're doing the diet anyway, throw a cleanse on top and your outcomes can be that much greater.
2: Yeah, and a total synergy. And like I said, you may have out the gate gotten some really good outcomes with your keto. But now if you're dealing with digestive distress, it might be that you removed the primary lighter fluid of the excessive refined carbs, right? And so you started to starve off the bacteria, but you didn't bring in the cleansing agents or the probiotic. And now they're starting to get thrifty and they're feeding off of ketones and other alternative fuel sources. So it is important to do the whole process to get that long longevity outcome but our our virtual food as medicine program is a great support during this process of a cleanse to, to do in active mode because a lot of people in the community have done themselves as well
1: awesome and i think so important to end on and emphasize can't emphasize enough we don't want to end up with a sterile gut so don't stop the process halfway through or not finish out your cleanse or skip the rebuild bundle that we spoke to a little bit earlier.
2: Absolutely. Because we know the microbiome can not only perform poorly for us when it's imbalanced with either candida or SIBO or any form of dysbiosis, but that it can do wonderful, amazing things when it's working for us in a symbiotic environment. So not only do we want to take away the distress from your body, We want to get you into thrive mode where your microbiome is making your feel-good neurotransmitters and it's reducing inflammation in your body and it's manufacturing all of these nutrients that your body needs for optimal outcomes. So I think today's episode had so much stuff in it and, um, you definitely will want to visit the show notes, which are going to be over at allymillerrdcom backslash podcast. If you love today's episode, please pop over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. It really helps our algorithms and for more people to learn about the show. Also keep posting on social media at AllyMillerRD. Share when you're listening to the podcast, tag me, please. And, um, Go over and grab a spot in the virtual Food as Medicine program. If you love what we're doing on here, you're going to love that even more. It's an intimate experience to really take your health to the next level.
0: Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and Food as Medicine meal plans.